Good morning, Harmony. Did y'all have a good week? Okay, okay. Mixed response there. Guess that's how it goes. Um, Brother James and, and Sister Donna asked me to read this to y'all. Um, they've just really been offended by the way you treated them this week. And so they put their thoughts into a card and want me to read those to you. So it says, thank you for caring. It says, when someone takes the time to listen, when someone reaches out, when someone does a thoughtful thing that makes you warm with throughout, when someone lends a helping hand, finds ways in which to share, a meal, a call, a visit, flowers, it helps the days pass by as not such long out as not such long hours. When someone senses there are times when you have special needs, when someone gives you inner strength through words as well as deeds, when someone makes a phone call to see just how you're faring, it's time to tell those special someones, thanks so much for caring. We love our church family so very much and truly appreciate all everyone has done for us as Donna recovers from surgery. God bless you all, James and Donna. And it says, kindness is the language which the deaf can hear and the blind can see. Um, that's not from James. That's from Mark Twain. That's why it sounds so good. Um, I will ask you, you know, uh, everything's been going well. Continue to pray for Donna, though. She is trusting James to push her around in a wheelchair. So she may be in more danger now than she has been ever. Um, so just keep that in mind. Um, we love you all. Hope you're doing well. And thank you guys. Everybody has done such a great job responding in love as you guys always do. Um, we are coming to the conclusion of our series, Exodus. Welcome to the new. We've got two weeks left. That's, that's, of course, if I don't decide next week when I get into the sermon that it really should be four sermons and, and extend it for you. But uh, as we've been walking through this series, we, we've had a few things that we've just kind of repeatedly gone to kind of a, a framework that we call the keys of the series. And so I want to recap those. You guys should know these by heart by now. My whole hope in going 20 weeks in a sermon series is that you guys have something you take back out of it and go, you know what I learned? I learned a few things. And so through Exodus, what we've talked about is first this framework. One, God frees you. And so we kind of talked about this as Christians, right? Jesus is our Savior. And as our Savior, what does he do? He frees us. Right? And so just like we see in Exodus, God finds the people of Israel in slavery, in chains, in bondage, being mistreated, being oppressed. And what happens? God in His almighty power comes in, breaks those chains, and frees those people. That's God being the Savior. And what we've talked about is often people don't find that really to be that offensive. I mean, yes, there's a small pocket of people that look in the mirror and go, I don't need to be saved. I don't need a savior. So, hey, thanks, but no thanks. Why don't you go help somebody else? I don't need it. And so for those people, even them, I don't necessarily think they find the savior role offensive just as much as they find it unnecessary. But I'd say for the larger percentage of the population, all of us have been in a place where we have fallen on our knees and gone, if this is on me, I'm in trouble. I'm not smart enough, I'm not talented enough, I'm not patient enough, I'm not loving enough, I'm not, you fill in the blank, enough to get through this. I think every human being at some point in their lives hits that moment, whether they're a believer or an unbeliever, where they go, I need help. And so when we learn that there's a God out there who will save you, a God who will free you, we go, that's awesome. 
I think that's why you still find so many people today who will call themselves Christians even though they don't want everything that is in this book. What they want is they want that Savior. They want that insurance policy. They want that backup plan. They want that person who's going to bail them out when they're in need. But in Exodus, what we see is that's really just the beginning chapters. After God frees them, He goes, what will you do with your freedom? If you will be my people, if you will choose to follow me, I'll transform you. I will turn you from being slaves and I will turn you into a holy people. I will turn you into my children. I will make you royalty. And in this moment, what we see is two things. One, how awesome is our God? I mean, would it not just be enough that He had come in in His unbelievable power, chose to free a group of people that didn't deserve it? Like, remember, right? The people of Israel, as slaves in Egypt, they're not sitting there calling out to God. They're not worshiping Him. They're not serving Him. They're not doing anything for Him. He goes to them when they've turned on Him and still, in love, in mercy, frees them. That alone would be an unbelievable gift. But then He says, I will take you from being slaves and I will transform you into the most powerful nation this world has ever seen. It's much like what Christ does for you and me. He comes to us and not only has He died on that cross to wipe away our sins, to wash us clean from that guilt, but then He goes, and I will also let you be my brothers and sisters. Not only because of this will my Father not look at you as guilty sinners, but in fact, I pour my righteousness upon you, and from here on, He will see you as He sees me. And so you have this beautiful story of a God that not only frees you, but if you choose to follow Him, He will transform you. And this is where we see both Savior and Lord. Now to be honest, a lot of people haven't made that transition into step two. Those chains have been broken, they have gotten their freedom, and they're just wandering in the desert. And you know what happens to people wandering in the desert? Eventually they turn back. Eventually they go right back to those old ways of life. And so if we have chosen to take step two, if we've chosen that we want to be His people and we want to be transformed, then we said there's three verses we gotta, we got to hold on into our hearts. Three verses that got to plant themselves in this mind and we got to meditate upon and we got to live and we got to think about. And those three verses are here. Luke 16, 13. One. How many masters? One master. No servant can serve two masters. You and I cannot play this game of I listen to God and I listen to the world. Oh, I listen to God and I listen to myself. If God is master, it's the only voice I hear. It's the only one who calls and I come. We've got to make that choice. Is he my master? You hear thousands of voices every day. You hear thousands of things calling you in different directions. There should be a difference when the Father calls. Second, because I know I have come from a broken world, because I know 
that I was raised in this sin. I know that in those tough moments, what must I do? I must trust in the Lord with all my heart and not lean on my own understanding. Because He's my Master, what I realize is on this journey, there's going to be times that the holy, all-powerful, all-knowing God who's here and I'm here is going to come to me and go, Luke, let's go. And I'm going to go, that doesn't make any sense. That's confusing. Are you sure? And in those moments when I don't get His plan, what I need to lean back on is, I don't know why you want to do this, but I know who you are, God. I don't know why we're working this way. I don't know why we're moving this way. I don't get it. But I know you. You're the one that freed me. You're the one that leads me. You're the one that loves me. And if you ask me to go, I'm ready. Let's start stepping. I am ready to follow God. He's my master and it's His understanding and knowledge I lean in. Third, expectation. 1 Peter chapter 1, 14 and 16 tells us this. As He who called you is holy, you also be holy in your conduct. So what do I expect? If He's my master and I trust in Him, I need to start looking different. I need to start looking like Him. And so this is where we hit the rubber meets the road, right? This is where you got to look in the mirror and ask yourself, am I different today than I was yesterday? Am I different today than I was when I first met Him? Am I growing? Am I changing? Am I improving? If I'm not looking more like Him, something's broken. Either He's not really my master, or in those tough moments when He calls, I'm not leaning on His understanding. And so throughout this journey, we have seen the people of Israel in the book of Exodus waver between these moments. We have seen them follow and we've seen them turn away. We've seen them go, we'll do anything you say. And we've seen, man, he's taken a long time. Let's just do our own thing. We have seen this desire to pull back on this and seen the ramifications of those things. And what I want you to take to heart is, you're those people. The journey of Exodus is your journey. A person who God found in slavery broke their chains and has asked them in their freedom to continue to follow Him. And along that journey, even though it doesn't make sense, man, you get tempted to go back the old way. And you got to keep pulling yourself back. And so as we come to a wrap-up here today, we're going to talk a little bit about God's glory and how do we as a people really achieve that last part where we look different. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and flip with me to Exodus chapter 38. I'm sorry, this is a typo. It's Exodus 39. Exodus 39, still verses 32 through 42. While you're doing that, let me tell you a little bit of my fun each week. Besides being here, besides being at my other job, I've decided I have so much free time, I need to coach kids soccer. And so I coach uh, Tyler's soccer team of uh, five-year-olds. And man, it's a joy. It is so, they're crazy. They're cra- and what's fun about toddlers, I don't know what it is, but like, they're either all good or they're all crazy. 
Like some days I'm like, I don't know what's in the atmosphere right now, but not a one of them is listening to me. But we're at this fun stage in the season where we're about six weeks in, and they're starting to become my team. So like each game, right, each practice, I talk to them, and I always say this kind of same things. Like I say, hey, if we get knocked down, we get back up. All right? We play hard and we have fun. And then I always do this thing where I ask them, I'm like, does anybody know what time it is? And they're supposed to say, game time. Right? And they're not supposed to say it, they're supposed to shout it. And so now what I love is, like, first few weeks you do these things, they're like, uh, I don't know what time it is, coach. I don't know, you know? Or you get like, game time. Right? Now I walk up and I'm like, I start looking at my watch. And they're like, game time! Right? And, and they got their things down, man. Like, they just know how I speak. They know how I talk. I'll tell them to do stuff. And they're lining up before I even know it. And I'm looking at them now and going like, my little guys. My little guys. When we're with people long enough, when we share in with their their workings and their game plans, and we spend time with them, we start to sync up with them. We start to become more like them. That's just just natural. That's just what happens. I'll be honest, sometimes me and Nicole, we're like, I don't know how we're going to make it to 50 years. Because we'll be in the car and I'll turn a certain way. She'll be like, oh, we're going there? And I'm like, yep, we are. How did you know that? She's like, I don't know. It's Saturday. It's 2 o'clock. You turn left. We normally go right. I'm assuming if we're going that, it's because you want to go do this. And I'm like, we didn't even have to communicate. We just, like, in a glance, had, like, a a 10-minute conversation. And we've only been together eight years. (laughs) When it's been 40 years, like, we're not even going to need to talk. We're just going, "Mm -hmm. yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah. And so, if that's true just in human relationships, right? Think think how bad we are at communicating, right? If that happens in human relationships, what should we see happen in a relationship with the Almighty God? How should that change us? And so what I want you to see is, let's take a step back. And as we go to Exodus 39, I want you to see some things that are happening. In Exodus 39, we pick up with the people doing something interesting. In verse 32, it says, Thus, all the work of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting was completed, and the sons of Israel did according to all that the Lord God had commanded Moses, so that they did. And so, important thing, tabernacle. What is it? The tabernacle is like the portable, mobile temple. Which for some of you are like, great, that's cool, what is the temple? The temple was the permanent structure in Jerusalem that represented the physical presence of God. So when you walked into Israel, when you walked into Jerusalem and you saw that building, you went, what is that? They go, that's God's house. That is where our God lives. He is with us. He lives here. Well, before they had that permanent home in the desert, they didn't have that temple, they had the tabernacle. This beautiful ornate, holy of holy places that God was, but it could be moved and it was portable, so it could follow them along their journeys. And this was to tell people, God's here. Yahweh, the I am of the I am's, He lives here with these people. His presence is here. That's what the point of that was. And so what they're telling us in chapter 39 is, if you go through Exodus, we've skipped huge sections. Like chapter 25 through 31, 
were all instructions on how to build this thing. And then what's interesting is, remember that golden calf scenario we went through? Right? God tells them all these instructions of what to do. The people get tired of waiting on God and completely revolt. After he shows mercy, they come back, and what you end up getting kind of in chapters like 36, 37, 38 is a repeat of the chapters 25 through 31. But what's different now is, in the first time it was being shared, God was saying, this is what I need you to do. This is how I need you to do it. People to listen. Now as we find them, they have done all those things. All those details that he outlined, they have now completed. And that is what Moses is looking at. And so in verse 33, we start to see a list of all this stuff. It says, they brought the tabernacle to Moses, the tent, all its furnishings, its clasp, its boards, its bars, and its pillars, and its sockets. And the covering of ram skins dyed red, and the covering of porpoise skins, and the screening veil. The ark of the testimony, and its poles, and its mercy seat. The table, all its utensils, and the bread of the presence. The pure gold lampstand with its arrangement of lamps, and all its utensils, and the oil for the light. And the gold altar, and the anointing oil, and the fragrant incense, and the veil for the doorway of the tent. The bronze altar, and its bronze grating, its poles, and all its utensils. The lava, and the stand. The hangings for the court, its pillars, and its sockets, and the screen for the gate of the court. Its cords, and its pegs, and all the equipment for the service of the tabernacle, for the tent of meeting. The woven garments for ministering in the holy place, and the holy garments for Aaron the priest, and the garments of his son to minister as priest. You go, well, why did they list all that? Because it was significant that the people who had at first heard this and didn't do it, now we're coming going, we did it all. Every last detail. We've done it. We've done it in Moses. We present to you to present to God. We heard, we obeyed, and we did. And it says so in verse 22, so the sons, or 42, so the sons of Israel did all the work according to all that the Lord had commanded Moses. And Moses examined all the work, and behold, they had done it. Just as the Lord had commanded, this they had done. So Moses blessed them. And so there's a couple things I want you to see here that start to reveal to us how you become a distinct people. And it would be simple to just sum it up and say obedience. But obedience is a behavior that springs out of something else. Obedience is something that springs out of a different root cause. And so as we look at being a distinct people, the first thing I want you to see is this. We're distinct because we live daily in the presence and the power of God. Or at least we should. The whole point of the tabernacle, the Ark of the Covenant, the temple, was to remind these people Yahweh God doesn't just pop in to see you every now and then. Yahweh God isn't some distinct being that is watching everything from afar as a spectator. Yahweh God is your father. Yahweh God is your master. Yahweh God lives here every single day. Yahweh God leads you. 
He guides you. He protects you. He provides for you. He watches you. He is here. And regularly, they were watching Moses go into this tent, meet with God, and come back and share his words. Daily, they live in the presence and power of God. Now, brothers and sisters, why this is important is if this is a true statement for us, we will know. There's no way to be in the daily presence of God and not change. It's not possible. Now, there's no guarantee that that change will be positive. Go look at the Pharisees. Right? Look at the disciples and look at the Pharisees. Daily, those people were with Jesus. What did you see happen though? Some became more like Him, became more righteous, became more holy, found purpose, peace, and love. And others, their hearts became harder. The pride grew. The sin in them started to control them more. The point is this. God, if He's with you, will change you. I don't know how. But He's not one of those things that you can add in and it have no effect. It's too profound for that. It's kind of like some of these celebrities, right, that you run into where like either people love them or people hate them. Right? They're, they're too powerful of a personality for you to meet them and be like, eh, you know, no real feelings on that individual. That's not what happens with God. And so if we are a distinct people, what the first thing that makes us distinct is we have a relationship daily with Him. Now, I really want to highlight that word, daily. That doesn't mean on Sundays. It doesn't mean on Sundays between the hours of 11 and 12.45 when Luke stops preaching. Alright? It means daily. Every single day of your life. For some of us, that's a problem. God's like a pit stop we do is maintenance. Right? It's like, oh, let me come up for breath. Oh, I should probably go touch base with God real quick. Let me go do that. Uh-uh. The people of God are God's people every single day of their lives. Look at me with uh, Exodus 34. In Exodus 34, verses 34 through 35, it says this, when Mo, Whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would remove the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the people of Israel what he was commanded, the people of Israel would see the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face was shining, and Moses would put the veil over his face again until he went in to speak with him. Moses is so much in the presence of God, people are like, I can't even look at you, man. God's shining forth from you so much like it's hurting my eyes. Like Moses couldn't even lie to you that he had spoken to God. It was physically manifested in him. It was so obvious to everyone. Moses, talk to God. It should be the same for you. I don't expect your face to glow. But I do expect you to glow. God says He is the light that shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. And my goodness is there's some darkness around. You can't go a couple days without seeing darkness pervading everywhere. 
If you are the people of God, your light should be shining bright right now. Look, we can't control the circumstances of things that happen, but what we should see is, in this dark time, there's an opportunity for us to stand out. There's an opportunity for people to look at you and go, you're different. Why? Because I've been with God. Because I've been with God. Brothers and sisters, if you are with Him, not, and listen, listen, not reading about Him, not learning facts about Him, but if you are with Him, you will change. And some of you have settled for an academic situation. You have settled for, oh, I have learned about Him. God tells us, love Him with all your mind, with all your heart, and with all your soul. It's an all-consuming love. I know about Him. I feel Him. I live Him. He's everything. We've got to make sure we're in like that. We've got to make sure we have that kind of intimacy with Him. Some of us, we read these pages, and what we do is we take away a moral lesson. Okay, so God says I should do. Now, did you stop and think about the God who said it? What it meant about His character? What it meant about His personality? About what it tells you about why you love Him? Why you follow Him? Why you serve Him? I told you this before, we get nervous sometimes to evangelize. and I don't really get it. Nobody really cares about you knowing Bible facts. What people want to know when they talk to you is, what has He done in your life? Remember the Great Commission? He says, go and be witnesses. Well, a witness can't speak about things they haven't seen. What you're called to do is go to people and go, this is who I was. This is how I met Him, and this is what He's done to me. And this is why I serve Him. It's more profound than almost any other thing you can tell people. Yeah, there'll be a few in far between who want to know facts and figures. But the most of them go, I know you and you're different and I want to know why. Tell me your story. Tell me your story. Do you shine when you've been with God like Moses did? You should. If you don't, it's either because you're not seeing Him or you're too far away. And you've got to close that gap. Look at John 10, 27. It says, My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. Every day are you listening? Every day are you listening? you got to be able to pick that voice out amongst the noise. And, and, and don't be fools. Your enemy knows how to crank up the volume. He knows how to crank up the volume. I always say I want to be able to hear God's voice like my dad could hear a doorknob. Growing up, my dad could be out on the couch. You could have like a, a war movie on. He could be sawing logs, right? I touch the door handle and be like, where are you going? And I'd be like, I dropped pans in the kitchen 45 minutes ago and you didn't even wake up. I touched the doorknob and it's like, where are you going, son? Man, he heard that. He heard that, that noise. He was trained to hear and respond to. Are you trained to respond to God's voice like that? And don't lie to me. Some of you have learned to train to hear other people's voices that way. 
Right? Maybe it's your boss, maybe it's your spouse, maybe it's your kids. But for certain of us, someone talks and we go, oh, I gotta stop everything, got to hear this. Do you do that for him? Do you do that for him? A lot of you, you ain't hearing because you ain't listening. You're just going through the day, blocking everything out. And you're not peeking your ears to hear what God has to say to you. Isaiah 40.11 He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with his young. Do you have that kind of relationship with him? Are you in, are you in love with him? Not that you love certain things about him. Are you in love with him? I just want to be with him. You just got to be in His presence. I feel like sometimes that's what's missing in us. We're, it's like it's like academic. It's, it's like it, there's just this passion missing. I told you before, it's like if you love basketball when the game goes into overtime, you're like, yes, free basketball. This is awesome. Right? Are you like that with God? Are you excited when your time with Him gets extended? Are you excited when he had more in mind than you ever thought? Or, or do you sit there like, ah, I only have five minutes for this, man. I, I can't really, I, I don't have time for this. But God, I have that kind of passion. That passion that just pours out from you. It can't be this boring academic thing. So we live daily in his presence. Second, I want you to listen to this. Because I think a lot of you miss this. We display extraordinary faithfulness in ordinary things. Probably one of the biggest questions I get asked from church members is how do I know his call for me? You know, I want to know, Pastor, like, how do I know that specific thing that he wants me to do? And you know what I find? All of us are waiting for like this big bomb to drop from God. We're like, he's going to come into our life and be like, you will be a missionary in Uruguay. Right? You will build 5,000 churches. Sometimes what God just wants you to do is be a good husband. Be a great employee. Be a loyal citizen. Be a loving friend. Do the things you're already doing, but do them for Him and do them in love. And what's crazy is a lot of us are like, oh, that's boring. That's boring. I want the big thing, man. I want the big thing. And it just doesn't work that way. It just doesn't work that way. And in fact, God's Word tells us this all the time. I want you to pull out a couple things. I think probably the biggest superstar besides Jesus in the Bible, like if you were just to lay out like, who, who are the people like, Man, their resume is awesome. You, you really don't have a lot of negative things on this people. Well, the biggest one that jumps out to me is Joshua or Joseph. It's for you, James. Let me fill you in on that real quick. When I preached for these guys before they hired me, I said, I said what I just did there. I said Joshua instead of Joseph. And he has never let me forget it. <laughs> never. Five years later, I still hear about that. Joseph's, Joseph's just the man. He's just the man. Like, 
some people try to read a little bit of pride and arrogance into him when he's young, but I don't even really see that. I see him hearing God talk to him, and he's sharing openly with people, here's what God said to me. Now, some people don't like that, but you just don't see a lot of character flaws in this guy. But there's one thing in particular I love about him, and I want to see if you can pick it up. In Genesis 39, 2-4, says this, The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. So there's two parts there, but one's more significant to me than the other. God's telling us he's the one blessing Joseph. That's great. God blesses a lot of people. But what's more amazing to me is who noticed? Potiphar did. And notice, Potiphar doesn't say, man, everything Joseph does is gold. Joseph is super talented. Joseph's amazing. He says, Joseph's God is with him. So understand that. A pagan man who does not believe in Yahweh, does not worship Yahweh, does not serve Yahweh, sees in Joseph something that goes, this guy's successful because of this Yahweh guy. Now, I don't know all the details, but here's what I know. Joseph and the way he was living was making sure that glory wasn't for him. Joseph was one of those guys when things were happening, he didn't make it look like it was because of his talent, because of his ability, because of his wisdom. He was that guy always going, this is about God. This is about God. And what I love is, it was in everyday, regular things. He's a slave. He doesn't have anything important on his plate. But Potiphar is watching and he sees the way he cleans, the way he works, the way he serves, the way he leads. It's all different. All these little things are different. And notice, it wasn't just Potiphar. Look at Genesis 40. Later, he's thrown into jail for false accusations. And look what happens. But while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison and he made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Same thing. Not only do we know behind the scenes God's making it all happen, but the people in Joseph's life see him and go, God's with you. Man, do people see that in you? Like, do people get your victories aren't your victories? Do people get when you do something great, it's, you're like, it's not me, man. That is the Almighty God working in my life. I'll tell you, like, that, that, that is the prayer. I have so often said, it's like, God, please. I just hope when I I do things, people see you in it. The people don't think, hey, Luke's a good boss. The people don't think, hey, Luke's a good preacher. I want people to be like, God uses him. God does great things through him. And in fact, sometimes I hope you're amazed. Like, how does God use that to do that? (laughs) I mean... That's amazing that someone could use that tool to produce that work. I hope there are moments like that where people are dumbfounded, like, that's amazing. God used that idiot to do that amazing thing. How's that possible? Because God's awesome. 
everyday, ordinary things is how Joseph showed people God. You want to know what you're called to do? Live life in a way that points to God. Love your wife the way that God wants you to love your wife. Raise your kids the way that God wants you to raise your kids. Go to work the way God wants you to go to work. Eat your food. Entertain yourself. Do all those things that scream, God is my God. And the opportunities are everywhere. Because in our world, no one does this. No one does this. I mean, I've turned the simple question of, do you watch Game of Thrones, into a testimony. No, I don't. Why? Because I don't think my God's glorified by watching softcore porn. Turn it into a conversation. Why don't you listen to this kind of music? Because I don't think it glorifies my God. Why do you treat us this way? Why do you tell us this way? Because God's taught me to take care of people. I view every day at work where I do nothing of eternal value from a material standpoint as an opportunity to show people I love them, not because I'm awesome, but because God's taught me to love them. In fact, trust me, there's a lot of days I do not want to love them. But it's a way to show God with me every day. You want to know what He's calling you to do? Live life well. Live life well. Now, I want you to pay attention to this. Because it doesn't just stop with the little things. He may have one of those big calls for you. But notice this. Luke 16.10 One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. What's God's point? You want me to give you something big? Take care of the small. Be real, parents. Don't you do this all the time with your kids, right? But my dad always worked this way. Oh, you want this? I'll give you a little bit of responsibility. I'll give you a little task to do, and let's see how you perform. When you show me you can do this well, with this honor, with respect and quality, then we'll talk about something more. But I ain't gonna let you do something big until I see that. God's not a fool. If you want God to do great things in your life, show Him that you are a faithful servant that can do well the little things. And also, brothers and sisters, let me give you a secret. We're terrible at seeing what's little and big. We're terrible at it. I'll just give a little shout out to my wife and, and also to my mom. Like They were both stay-at-home moms. I can't tell you the number of offensive questions I've heard people ask them over their lives. So what do you do all day? Don't you get bored? I, I've seen people often act like because I have a corporate job that like I do significant work. Do you know how messed up that is? Let me tell you the honest to goodness truth. And the things I've done at my work in 15 years, the number of them that are still making impact today is like zero. And I am completely and utterly replaceable there. I took time off for the baby, this hardest thing was like, man, these people really don't need me. Like in two weeks, they were running just as efficiently as they were before. I really hope my boss didn't notice. I'm not needed there. And besides the relationships I'm building, the way I'm treating and loving people, there's nothing of eternal value there. She every day builds men. And now a little woman. 
who one day will raise families and who one day hopefully will be used by God. Hopefully we'll be people that change the world. And every day she pours into them, just like my mother poured into us. Yet this world looks at them and goes, what are you doing with your life? Don't you get bored? We can't see. We can't see. And so what I encourage you is don't get discouraged if you're waiting for some big massive call from God. He's already given you one. He's asked you to be His witness. He's asked you to be part of His family. He's shown you how to love. He's shown you how to have family. He's shown you how to be a friend. Go do those well. And then see what He has for you. And so I want you to take those home. We are a distinct people because one, we daily live in the presence of the Almighty. And second, we do ordinary things extraordinarily well because we do them with faithfulness. I obey my boss not because he's a great leader, but because God has asked me to respect the authority that has been put over me. I pay my taxes not because I trust the government, but because God has asked me, again, to respect the authority that has been put over me. I leave my family away. All these things, they're all covered. And in all those things, you can find a way to glorify God. When you look at this list in Exodus, some of these things seem small. Right? Little coverings, a candle, a lampstand, a cloth, a socket, right? When all of them came together, they made the physical home of God. That's the same way with us. All these little things, each and every day, all these small words, all these little conversations, all these little actions, they come together and they build God's kingdom. He builds His kingdom every day through the little things you do. Be in His presence and do the ordinary extraordinarily well. Dearly Father, as we come before You, Lord, we just say thank You. Thank You for freeing us. Thank You for giving us the opportunity to follow You, Lord. And please, God, transform us. Reshape our hearts, our souls, our minds. Fathers, make us the instrument that you need to build your kingdom. Father, break away those things in our lives that are not needed. Put us through the pressure that we need to be put through, Lord, so that we are hardened for the work that is laying ahead. Father, every day, in all ways, may we glorify you.